Uh, if you don't mind, I have another word of prayer before we go. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your beautiful creation. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die in our place despite the wickedness and sin of our, in our lives, Lord. Thank you that you are a God of, of glory and a God of second chances and a God of mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that you will steal our hearts and our minds today, Father, that uh, the words we speak and the things we discuss, Lord, will be received as an encouragement that there is a mighty and powerful way that the church can step up and step in and glorify your name and your image. Lord, please hide me behind the cross, Lord, today, and Father, I just pray that you get glory no matter what. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as you have all probably heard, it's my birthday. So uh, as when Steve asked me to preach on Sanctity of Life Sunday, I said yes, not really knowing how or even what to preach. Uh, I have been in anxious turmoil for almost two weeks now uh, because it, it, it's tough. I typically work through a book or, or a particular verse or passage, but, but this is different. Um, we're not going to do that. We're going to work through a few. Um, and... Most of us are going, well, Pastor, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. Sanctity of life, we should probably just uh, preach on the sanctity of life and talk about how evil Planned Parenthood and other abortion-providing clinics are and move on. Well, you've heard me all say it time and time again. Yes, 42 million worldwide last year. Still the number one cause of death in the world. You have certainly got to be persistent if you can take that title over and above every other illness, disease, suicide, accident, drug, alcohol, cigarette death, even during a pandemic year. So shouldn't we just focus on the evil of abortion, say our peace, and then move on? Well, yes and no. You see, when it comes to the sanctity of life, we have to understand what that truly means from a biblical framework. If we don't do or base everything we think, say, and believe on the unmoving, unchanging, and solid rock of Christ Jesus, we are simply wasting time, effort, and energy, even when we speak out against things as evil as abortion. If I or Steve standing up here do not preach or base all of our preaching and teaching on the unmoving, unchanging, and solid rock of Christ Jesus, we're wasting your time, we're abusing the Word of God, and we're taking advantage of our position that He sovereignly placed us in. The sanctity of life means everything to who you and I as individuals are. It determines our worth, our value. It determines where we come from and where we're going. It determines how we view others, even those that despitefully use and abuse us. It determines or should determine how we see the world, how we enact justice, and how we define injustice. And it should determine how we treat and help others. And that is by far the most important aspect of the sanctity of life, and I want you to keep it in mind. I mentioned to the youth group a few weeks ago if the Bible is not God's word, then it is not authoritative for your life, nor my life, for all things on which it speaks. And then if that's the case, who cares? If the Bible is not God's word, then who cares? It's just another book. 
But if the Bible is God's word, which I believe it is, it is authoritative for your life, it's authoritative for my life, and every other person's life in the entire known world. It is the absolute foundation upon which the sanctity of life and absolute morality are built upon. It's the foundation of truth, of morality, firmly resting in the very God who created life. That is to say, church, that the sanctity of life is non-negotiable. As Christians, it should not be a matter of disagreement or open for discussion. It should not be the way it is. It should not be how we vote. Life is sacred and holy because it's created in the image of a God who wrote and defined the story. End of it. Hook, line, and sinker. No ifs, ands, or buts. No, well, I don't know. It's the basis for everything human. Everything. And Isaiah, I believe that the Bible is God's very word, and therefore it's authoritative for your life, for my life, and everybody else's life. I believe that the sanctity of life is vastly important to the creator of life. And because of that, I can't stand up here and simply preach against the evil of abortion and the destruction it causes to the sanctity of life without going further and deeper than the 63 million murdered since 1973. And for this reason, I've titled this sermon, The Destruction of the Sanctity of Life and the Desecration of Women and Children. I did this because when we as a nation legislated a woman's right to kill her child, we destroyed not only the sanctity of life, but as a result killed the value and worth of women and children. You say, Pastor, well, how does the abortion industry de uh, destroy the sanctity of life, let alone the worth and value of women and children? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Allow me just a few moments to explain. Since abortion was legalized in 1973, four institutions were magnified. The industry of infanticide, that is abortion. The industry of sexual promiscuity, or more commonly referred to as the sexual revolution. The industry of sexual degradation and perversion, better known as pornography. And the industry of sexual abuse and exploitation, known as human trafficking. All of these industries are different links on the same destructive chain, where the chain is forfeiting human life. Now, I'm not saying all these things didn't take place before 1973. All of them, in some capacity, have been occurring since the world was plunged into wickedness on account of the Genesis 3 fall. I'm simply saying that when a nation, and by extension, the world makes murder legal and writes off any notion of the sanctity of life, there's going to be harsh and long-lasting painful repercussions, unspeakable consequences. And I do not want to speak... I do want to speak to the sanctity of life because I find it so very important, as you all are aware and heard me say it time and time again. However, I believe it would be a disastrous if we did not address the massive destruction this has brought upon women and children as well. I want to make two things very clear before we get started. You say, before we get started, I thought we were started. Uh, first, I want to make very clear the value and worth God places on the sanctity of life and subsequently women and children. To all the, the, the modern day feminists out there, if you're listening, without women there'd be no men. There'd be no life. They carry life. 
Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.22, the Lord God fashioned into man, or excuse me, into woman, the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Think about that. The first written account of what we would consider poetry is from Adam when God brings him his wife. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Procreation. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The woman was not made as a footstool to be trampled underfoot, men, nor with the crown to rule over man, ladies. Nor was she made as a tool for the man. She was made as a helper suitable for the man. That is a person with similar likeness so that the men and women could maintain their God-given distinct roles personalities, genders, and character traits still yet uniquely radiate the image of the Creator throughout all the world. Nothing brings more shame to the image of God than the destruction or abuse of it. Genesis 9, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made man. The Hebrew term here for man is Adam. And it means mankind or human being, not just a man or a male. It's not simply saying, well, it's okay to shed women's blood, just not a male. It's saying it's not okay to shed anybody's blood made in the image of God or to abuse it or mistreat it because to attack somebody or abuse somebody that's made in the image of God is to attack and abuse God himself. That's how serious this is because we're all uniquely created in his image. The second thing I want to make clear is that these things are tough to talk about and tough to hear about, church. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I did try to keep it G-rated, but they're tough, but they're very real. I have researched much, not just for this message, but also try to keep up with these kinds of things. Because as a Christian who is supposed to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself, I find it very clear from Scripture that it is the church's responsibility to impact the world for the glory of God and fight against any evil, especially one that would use, abuse, and kill the image of God. These industries that we're going to talk about are evil. It's modern slavery. It's modern holocaust of epic proportions, the likes that we have never seen in the history of man. It's a modern pandemic and it's a blatant destruction to the very foundation of God's purpose when he created them male and female and told them to be fruitful and multiply for his glory. So here's the question we're going to try to answer. How does the abortion industry, the sexual revolution, pornography, and human trafficking destroy the sanctity of life and the value and worth of women and children? Now I hope to answer this in separate parts, addressing in some small way each industry's horrid contribution. And then I'm going to address each industry from an absolute moral authority at the end. And while we do this, I want you guys to keep this quote in mind. Fyodor Dostoevsky, if that's how you pronounce his name, was a Russian novelist, a journalist, an essayist, and a philosopher. He said this, 
If there is no God, everything is permitted. Hold tightly to that thought. So the first industry, the industry of infanticide. In 1973, the Scoutists, or the Supreme Court of the United States, determined the fate of millions of unborn children. The majority in the High Court agreed that it was henceforth a woman's right to kill her child. Perhaps in the former part of the 20th century, we did not have the technological advances we do today that very clearly and coherently tell us the personhood of the unborn child. However, if that was the plumb line measuring our moral compass, and I would argue it wasn't, would New York have passed a bill legalizing the murder of babies up to the day they were expected to be born? No. Would Argentina have passed similar legislation for a woman's right to kill her child? No. In fact, if you haven't followed that story, you can see how corrupt our moral compass is. Argentinians by the thousands were dancing and singing in the streets, celebrating the fact that they could now kill their children. Think about how opposite that is to the purpose of God. What do we just do? We sang happy birthday. Why? Why do we have birthday parties? To celebrate somebody advancing in life to a new year. They're getting older. They're doing new things. We come to celebrate, come together to celebrate babies, right? We have baby showers. We shower the parents with gifts. We hopefully come alongside them and help them raise that child in the way that they should go. We as parents stay up late, get up early, get up in the middle of the night to care for our children which not only affirms their worth and value, but it affirms that we celebrate and honor the sanctity of life. Because we believe everyone, or we should believe that everyone has dignity, value, and worth. But in New York, in 2019, I believe, in Argentina just last year, people danced and celebrated the legalized right of a human to willfully kill another so long as that human had not yet been born. I want to try to illustrate this for you, so use your imagination and follow me back in time if you would. Back to the early history of the Old Testament days. This was still a problem fairly close to the New Testament times, but you're sitting in your house or your domicile, and there's much cheering and celebration because the entire city is preparing to participate in the festival to the pagan god Moloch. You're not really sure why everyone is so excited since this is your first year as a young child celebrating this event, but you hope soon to understand. As time quickly passes, you become nervous because the banging of the drums gets louder and louder and the cheers, screams, and celebrations become incoherent. Your parents come and tell you it's time to go worship Molech. It's time to make an offering to this pagan deity. Still nervous and even more anxious, you reluctantly follow them to the huge idol sitting atop a mountain. It's overwhelming. It's intimidating. It's made of metal, looks like a human with a bull head, and at the bottom is filled with fire. Unsure of how long the flames have burned, you conclude it must have been a while because it's difficult not to notice how red hot the metal has become. Now afraid, tears fill your eyes and you want to run, but your parents usher you onward behind and in front of many others being ushered in the same way. As the drums beat louder and harder, you faintly hear what sound like screams, and as you look toward the flat hands of the statue, you realize what is happening. Tears now stream down your face as you watch other children in front of you be dropped into the fire-hot hands of this idol while their parents and others in the community dance, sing, celebrate, and cut themselves. 
beating ever so harder and louder on the drums. Fear grips your every fiber of your being because you now realize what your fate is and begin to wail in pain and anguish, recoiling from the firm grip your parents have on you. Now, journey back to 2021 with me. 1.9 million have already faced the same fate worldwide. We haven't even made it through the first month of the year in 1.9 million worldwide. In one month, 1.9 million overtook the entire worldwide death toll of COVID-19. The only difference is the pagan gods of our day are no longer sitting atop a mountain, are they? They sit in our bank accounts, our driveways, our homes. They sit in the workplace or on the computer or on the Xbox or the PlayStation. You know, Casting Crowns, it's one of my favorite bands. They have a song called Why Are You Were Sleeping. It's one of my favorite songs because it, it speaks truth and it sometimes, I'll be honest, it makes me cry a little. It talks about what we're going to miss when we're sleeping. And church, I know you know, if you're familiar with scripture, that the Bible talks a lot about not being asleep. It talks about being woke up. Anyway, the song starts in Bethlehem, moves to Jerusalem, and then to America. And here's some lyrics that hopefully will hurt your heart as much as they hurt mine. United States of America looks like another silent night as we're sung to sleep by philosophies that save the trees and kill the children. And while we're lying in the dark, there's a shout heard across the eastern sky, for the bridegroom has returned and has carried his bride away in the night. America, what will we miss while we're sleeping? Will Jesus come again and leave us slumbering where we lay? America, will we go down in history as a nation with no room for its king? Will we be sleeping? Will we be sleeping? United States of America looks like another silent night. God said in Leviticus, You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Very clear command from God here that this act profanes the name of God. Profane means to be marked by contempt or irreverence for what is sacred. God's name is sacred and we should revere it. How much more should we be taking seriously his image and in the life of another? And Jeremiah, everybody knows this one. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now some will argue, well, that was just talking about Jeremiah. Okay, so God only consecrates and sets apart prophets, not everybody he creates in his own image. When he said in Genesis not to destroy the image of God. God knows every single human being before they were ever formed in the womb. This has massive, massive implications that support the sanctity of life. As if being created in God's image wasn't enough. We know this one in Luke. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Babies are capable of joy, laughter, feeling, emotion, and every other personhood characteristic both inside and outside the womb. And these industries are all 
antithetical. That is, they're in opposition to the very clear revelation in Scripture that the, the human life is sacred. Nevertheless, once a dire decision such as abortion is made, the subsequent consequences are irreversible. And let me just preface this by saying, and I'll get to it in the end, it's not an unforgivable sin. You can be forgiven. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin. Jesus himself said that. But since it became legal for an unborn baby to be disposed of, there's no longer any repercussions, consequences, nor immediate ramifications for those who engage in the act. There's no value or worth placed upon the child. The woman is mentally, emotionally, and physically scarred. And both the abortion industry and sexual revolution are essentially two sides of the same coin and they constantly feed each other. Because when you can kill an unwanted child, the sanctity of life has been destroyed and as a result, sexual crime and deviancy is up. It's been up for a long time. The worth and value of women and children crumbles. The woman's no longer looked at as a beacon of hope that carries the life for the purpose of displaying the glory of God, but merely a tool for the wickedness of the world. And I'm going to try to sum up an application or a response that we should have as Christians at the end. But if you're interested in fighting against this industry or you want more information, I, I encourage you to go to endabortionnow.com. It's a very, very helpful website. They've been doing a tremendous job getting legislation into the necessary chambers of government. And their sidewalk ministries outside of clinics that do these things uh, have saved hundreds of babies. And they're not just standing out there yelling at people, telling them they're horrible. They tell the truth of God's word, and then they come alongside these women that are hurt and abandoned, and they help them raise their children. Or they even find people that will adopt them in the church. Next industry we'll briefly look at is sexual promiscuity. After abortion destroyed the sanctity of life, the sexual revolution told women it was their right and even compelled them to use their bodies however they wished. This essentially divorced the beautiful purpose of creation from the act itself. And because of this, women were encouraged to give themselves away to any whom they choose without reverse or excuse me, without reserve or remorse. And guess what? Ungodly men have cheered it and championed it and continue to do so. It further exacerbated the demise of modesty, self-worth, and respect. The result of the sexual revolution is men and women who without reserve practice immoral promiscuity, and as a result, marriage and family have greatly suffered. Tell me they haven't, church. Why? Because once children are divorced from God's original design, there's freedom to do what you wish, how you wish, with whoever you wish. Because you are no longer basing it off of the moral foundation of God. And as a result, hindsight only, apparently nobody was reading the Bible, fatherless homes, broken and truncated families, and loneliness have taken a dangerous turn upward since this industry made its debut five decades ago. Women suffer because, again, they're viewed as a means to a sinful and wicked end. Children suffer because they're no longer treated as a gift but merely a consumer product that can be bought, sold, or disposed of. Families suffer because men and women do what they want with who they want, and thus they're no longer the building block to a civilized society. You can have society, but it doesn't have to be civilized. If family's not the building block, 
and family is, is uh, encouraging the church and the church encouraging society, you cannot have a civilized society. Time and time again, researchers have shown, study after study, statistic after statistic, and I know they're not everything, but there's a lot of them. And they say that once you prioritize the state over the priority of the, and well-being of the family, you have destroyed the family and your society eventually will die out. The church suffers because families suffer and subsequently, as I mentioned, society suffers because the church is weakened. It cannot impact the world for the glory of God. We can't. Church, if we don't stand up and stand boldly, there's not a whole lot we can do except check our box every week. And the next one I'll briefly look at is degradation and perversion, and I'll just call it explicit content. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, in the 19th century, the inventions of photography and later of Mohsen pictures were quickly put to use in the production of explicit material. Explicit films were widely available no later than the 1920s, and in the 1960s, their popularity enjoyed a massive upsurge. The development of video cassettes in the 1980s and digital video discs, we call them DVDs, in the 1990s, enabled the wide distribution of explicit films and further encouraged their use because they could then be viewed in private. Explicit images and films became even more widely available with the emergence of the internet in the 1990s. And Lord help us, in the 21st century with the smartphone, it has become an epidemic. The widespread dis distribution and consumption of explicit material has fed a rapidly detrimental decline in family structure and marriages. It has. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this and how many times recently people close to our own life has been destroyed because of this. What's worse is explicit content changes and rewires your brain for the worse. Just as it would a drug or alcohol or anything else, it's addictive. It feels demand for more explicit films and more explicit material with guess what? Where women are abused and used. Or trafficked and including children. Church, recently a lay pastor in Florida was arrested and convicted on numerous charges because they found a numerous explicit content of children in his home. This is not an isolated occurrence, church. And let me, let me real quick put in a small plug here for policies and procedures and better practices when it comes to our children. After the completion and the remodel of the, the old sanctuary and the children's wing, when Steve and I strongly encourage you to adopt and practice the policies and procedures we put in place and to diligently check in your child and check them out for safety purposes, please don't buck us on it. We're not doing it to make your life difficult. Don't say, well, we've never done it this way before. We know that. We wish we didn't have to do it that way. I wish we didn't have to do it that way. I wish I didn't have to constantly look for my children when they're outside playing, but I do. We have to realize the times are changing and the wolves that wish to devour you and your children seek out churches where they believe the sheep are lullabied to sleep and are not being diligent. And it is my desire to be as diligent as we possibly can to protect the most vulnerable. And if this inconvenience is even myself or anybody else, I am unapologetic. 
Because church, it's never a matter of if. It's always a matter of when. And we have to look to the future and say, if we want to build this church and want it to last another 50 or 60 or 100 years, however God wills, we have to have families. And in order to have families, you have to protect them and their children. You have to put things into practice and do them. Because if you don't, then you're being complicit. I'll move on. Consider that traffic victims are more than likely or usually initiated using explicit content. Traffic victims are exploited in the production of explicit content. In church, there are 68 million searches a day for explicit content. Sites that offer this explicit content have more unique visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Every month, 450 million. That's an average of 15 million a day. Explicit content is addictive, just like using alcohol and drugs. It releases dopamine and oxytocin in the brain, which are things that make us happy and feel good. Similar to if you ever have a really good exercise and you're pumped and you get that kind of feeling in your head, that's your brain releasing reward because you're doing something good for your body. This does the same thing. Unfortunately, it's in a very dangerous and dramatic way and it leads to unexpected territory. This industry generates $13 billion a year. $13 billion a year through the destruction of the sanctity of life and the abuse and use and exploitation of women and children. Users of this content go through four phases which shapes their unholy desires and behavior. The first one is the addiction effect, where the individual becomes addicted just as you would anything else. Second is the escalation effect, wherein the user, with the passage of time, needs to consume more content to achieve the same feeling just as you would any other drug. The third one is desensitization. This is wherein the user becomes desensitized to material that would have originally been repulsive, immoral, taboo-breaking, illegal, or immoral, and even accepts and consumes said material. If you have a TV set in your home and have Netflix or any other streaming service or just cable TV, You'll know that as soon as they were able to put motion pictures through the airwaves into people's homes, their agenda was to rewire your brain on every single topic known to man. Family, children, women, God's design. This is no different. The last effect is the desire to act out effect. This is the most dangerous because now they want to act out the things they've been watching and consuming. And that usually ends up through trafficking. This industry, like the double-sided coin of abortion and sexual revolution, creates a detrimental and degrading view of women and children. It facilitates and even encourages abuse. And I know what society will tell you and modern-day feminists will tell you. It's empowerment. I'm free to do what I want. It's not harmless and it's not freeing. It's not empowering. It's not safe. 
It's a very real problem and it needs to be addressed. And if you want more information than I had time to give you, or you just want to figure out how you can help fight against it, there's a very good website, organization I encourage you to visit. It's called fightthenewdrug.org because it is a drug. And in some cases, it's worse than all the other hard drugs combined. And then the last industry, and I'll move quickly, and then we'll get to the application, is the sexual abuse and exploitation or human trafficking. Church, like I said, these topics are tough, but we as a church should be the first ones on the battlefield. Human trafficking is an epidemic of egregious proportions. Egregious, horrible. According to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, they received 11,500 plus calls all through 2019. And that was just in America. 8,248 of the cases were for abuse trafficking, where the majority were adult women age 18 and over. However, 23% of that 8,000 were minors. The explicit content industry we just discussed accounted for 733 of those cases. This industry of human trafficking, $99 billion industry. $99 billion. And that number was from 2015. Investigations found that seven Planned Parenthood clinics in four different states were willing to aid and abet sex trafficking of minor girls and offer abortions. They even directed the violators and the victims to lie so that they could get what they needed. Church, the abortion industry has never been about women's health care, and I'll argue that fact till the day I die. It's only about making money off of destroying lives and the sanctity of life. They stand to gain a profit from every one of these industries, especially the trafficking industry. Because in all of these, women are forced or coerced to have abortions, and it makes up 90-plus percent of the services they offer. 90-plus. And I don't care how good a magician you are, you cannot spin those numbers in any other way that make them say anything different. The industry of human trafficking purports this message that humans are dispensable and their only worth and value comes from the highest purchase. The destruction of the sanctity of life is the driving force behind every single one of these wicked industries. Because remember, without God, everything is permitted. The average age a child enters into this dark, horrific world is 14 to 16 years old. And church, you know the most successful way these victims are lured into this? Social media. Parents, let me just make another plug here, since I've got your attention. Your children do not need unfettered access to the internet. Just to fit in, they don't need the newest, coolest smartphone, $1,200. You know, it used to be predators would stand in dark alleys with their trench coat and snatch children and women. They don't have to do that anymore. They can sit behind a TV monitor or a screen and send messages to your child even when they play games. Promise them this or that, or they'll even put money on their game accounts to get them to lower their guard to get them to trust the violator. And I implore you, 
Talk to your children. Talk to your grandchildren about these types of things. They have to know because, again, it's not a matter of if. It's simply a matter of when. It will happen. They need to be on guard and to need to know how to recognize. You guys, all of us need to know how to recognize this. Each one of these industries treats women and children as tools to be used, abused, disrespected, and exploited because of sin. Because we have given up God. And I could go on with stat after stat and story after story that shows just how painful and sad this is, but I'll let you do that on your own time. If you're interested, you can always contact me if you want more information, but one of the websites I would suggest going to is humantraffickinghotline.org or the Family Research Council, that's frc.org. That's actually a Christian operation wherein they address many issues of our time, but they face, um, or the majority of their time is spent on human dignity, life, and biblical fidelity. That's important for our organizations that run our country that fight on the front lines to be grounded in Scripture because, again, if it's not God's Word, it's not authoritative, and who cares? We could argue till we're blue in the face about who's right and who's wrong, but if there's no God, neither one of us truly are. Well, what does this all mean for the church? What as Christians should we do? Well, I think there's first uh, a few things we need to understand. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, or therefore glorify God in your body. Church, God is not glorified in our body or in the body of his image bearers if we abuse them with drugs, alcohol, or abuse them for immoral practices. These industries do not glorify God through the body, they, and as a result, they don't embrace the sanctity of life. They worship the God of this world, Satan, and they do it without apology and through the abuse and exploitation of the body. Sanctity means holiness of life. Holy means to be set apart or have otherness from the world. If the church looks, acts, talks, and sounds like the rest of the world, we're not holy from it. We're not set apart from it. The destruction of the sanctity of life and the desecration of women and children is an unholy, perverse, and wicked societal belief pervaded by these industries. If it wasn't widely accepted, these industries would not be billion-dollar industries. They must be destroyed. And we started with the question, how does these industries destroy the sanctity of life? And I tried to show in the little time we have how each are connected and how each flow out of their loss of the sanctity of life and their disregard for God. And remember what our friend said, if there is no God, then everything is permitted. Because God sets the moral standard on right and wrong and what is good. Without him, humans naturally feed a carnal desire prone to evil, which is pervaded by a sinister wickedness explained only in the fall of mankind. If we want this to change in church, I hope we do. It's up to us to change it. It's up to us to change it. 
We must unapologetically and without compromise communicate that every life is created in the image of God and therefore has inherent worth and value and should be protected. We should help each other, come alongside each other. It's not that difficult to understand. I don't know why we struggle with this. Dr. Seuss even said, a person's a person no matter how small. And my favorite from him, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor, theologian, and a spy during the Nazi years in German. He said this, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And church, I'm speaking today. As a result of the fall, our problem is not that we have forsaken our own desires. It's that we've forsaken the desires of God whose image we're created in. We've come to a place where we look at the sanctity of life or injustice in the world and we shrug our shoulders. Somebody might not like me for what I have to say. Somebody might disagree with me. Somebody might get upset or hurt their feelings. Everywhere in Scripture, we can see the high worth God places on the sanctity of life and subsequently women and children. Earlier we read in Genesis, God said it's not good. This is the only time he said it's not good in all of creation. And what was it that wasn't good? That the man was alone. So he made a helper suitable for him. The only time he said it was very good was after he brought the woman to the man and instituted marriage and family. And we addressed that earlier, so I won't get into it now, but the sanctity of life has to be restored. And that, in order to do that, we have to stand boldly and unashamedly on the God, our word of God. We must promote the gospel like never before. It is the power of God in the salvation church. Who cares if people don't like us? They're not going to give an account of our life before God in Judgment Day. We are. It's only by the grace of God can a dark, dead, and wicked heart be revived. And this can only be done through the church. Let me tell you something that I hope and pray is obvious to all of us online, here in the building, or on the radio. Politicians will not change it. Legislation will not change it. Hoping for a politician to change something is like putting your hope in a candle. When it's burnt out, so is your light. The only thing that can change a heart is the grace and mercy of God whose light never goes out. And the only way it can happen is through the power of the gospel. And the only way the gospel is heard is when the church proclaims it. You're the church. I'm the church. We are the church. You cannot drive out darkness by pulling down the shades. You must shine the light of Jesus to eradicate the sin that so besets the world. And this is a sinful world. Amen, church? The church must step up and proclaim at any and all costs the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, I've got to tell you, I've been struggling with this a lot lately because persecutions are coming. I have a family. I have children, a wife. If they come kicking in my door and say, recant or else, 
I don't know what's going to happen. I pray that at that time the Holy Spirit will fill me, and I will not. But church, it's a coming. It's happened all throughout history. If we won't do it now, we won't do it then. I said it two years ago in a sermon. If we won't stand up now, we won't stand up when it comes. You cannot drive out darkness without light. We must stand in unity, not just on Sanctity of Life Sunday, but every day. Every day. All life is precious because it's created in the image of God, and we must fervently fight against any evil that would attempt to destroy this. And church, let me just caveat this with, I'm not saying we need to go march to arms and go overrun. I'm saying we need to stand up and proclaim the truth regardless of what we're threatened with. I don't believe, and Steve and I have talked about this a lot, that the Bible ever condones things that are happening as far as the capital and other things. That's wickedness. But it does say that we are supposed to stand firm and speak the truth. Polycarp, one of the disciples of John, was burned at the stake at 83. They told him to recant. He said, 83 and a half years, he has been faithful to me. I cannot be unfaithful to him. And then when they realized that God was sovereign and the fire would not light and burn him, they stuck him with spears. It will happen. What's more important to us? The glory of God or the glory of man? 2,000 years ago, God sought to fix our problem of sin. Not only did he lovingly create us and give us a rule to obey, but he did this not because he was tyrannical, not because he was mean, right? It was rather because he loved us enough to protect us from ourselves. God's rule and reign is much like the guardrails on the side of a cliff. I like this illustration because it works for my brain. You don't care about the guardrails unless your car spins out and they keep you from going over the side. God's rules and commandments are there to keep us from going over the side. But all of us, in Adam and Eve, willingly climbed the rail and plunged to our death. And then God went to the bottom of the valley where we lay dead and lifeless, and through the God-man Jesus brought us back to life. He revived us inside. And then Jesus, who was like us in every way and tempted in every way, was without sin and lived the life that you could not and that I could not. And then he stayed within God's safety rails and boundaries. He obeyed and did only those things that pleased the Father. He then sacrificed his life on a blood-stained cross, trading in his life for our life. Don't miss how huge that is, church. God is not small. And he did that so the wrath of God was satisfied, thus freeing us from condemnation. Romans 8.1, we love this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And on the third day, he rose from the grave because sin is what keeps us there, church. And granted eternal life to all who would confess with their mouth, Christ is Lord, and believe in their heart, God raised him from the dead. Church, are you bound by sin? Come to Jesus. He can break you free. He'll shatter every chain that's upon your life. Do you struggle with pornography or any other addiction and feel you're too far gone? 
Come to Jesus. He'll destroy your addiction. He'll redeem your soul and he'll restore you to the Father. Because like I said before, there is only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe, you can't be saved. Jesus said every other sin and blasphemies uttered by men will be forgiven. You're not too far gone. Have you struggled with abortion, whether you've had one or you flippantly support it? Come to Jesus and he'll flee or free you from the lies and the pain that is abortion. He'll heal you. He'll give you rest for your soul. I cannot tell you, church, how important this is. You're never too far gone. He will save you. He's willing. He's able. There is no un sin unforgivable. And Christ is your only hope, my only hope, my children's only hope, my wife's only hope, in a world that uses, abuses, and, abuses and exploits. Christ died for you. He died for me. He's faithful. He does not use. Amen. He does not abuse. He doesn't exploit. It says a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. That means if you're weak and you're tired and you're beaten down by sin, he won't come and break you. He'll lift you up and he'll grant you forgiveness and the gift of everlasting life. He loves, he cherishes, and cares so deeply for you that he paid the ultimate price. We ought to be proclaiming the gospel and the holiness of life from our rooftops. We should be telling our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, church, we should be telling our children. Because they're the ones that are going to be running the world in 10 or 20 years. Their grandchildren. Come to Jesus. He's willing and able. And in the famous words of Dr. Seuss, Unless someone like you cares an old, awful lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not. Church, I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know what problems you have in your past. Everybody's got a past. Church, my past is, is very bad. Sometimes I go thinking about my past and I get myself so beat down, my wife has to remind me, look where we are. Look what God has done for you and me. I don't know what you're struggling with today, but we're all struggling with something. We'd be lying to say we're not. We ought to come to Jesus, humble ourselves. God is spirit. Jesus said his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. Come to him in your heart. Come to him in the silence of your home and the quietness of your soul and plead with him to grant you forgiveness from whatever sin you're struggling with, if you are. To give you boldness to speak out on things that are evil and wicked like these industries are. And if you know somebody struggling with them, church, speak up for the love of God. Help them. Point them to eternal life. Nothing else will do it, Lord, but Jesus. Thank you. Steve is going to end our time with prayer and Church, you can come to the altar, or you can pray in your heart, you can get on your knees before God, wherever. Close out the service today for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to make the point that that is exactly why we called Josh here as our family pastor. That is exactly what I want, as a man who loves our families enough to stand upon the Word of God, to tell us the truth 
to tell families the truth that this is what's coming and this is what's here and this is what we need to do. Josh and I met about three years ago and, and I began to see that passion in his heart and in his life and I knew that we as a church needed that here. And so what he said today may be harsh to those who are opponents for those industries. But for the church, it should be a reality and a commitment to say, you know what, we love the family. We love what God has entrusted us with, and we're going to do everything that we can to help those whom God has entrusted us with. So church, today, we've heard that challenge for sanctity of human life, and it must come from the church. It cannot come from what, what the White House. It must come from our house. And therefore, I challenge you to continue to seek the face of God. Continue to, to share with your family, both your children and your grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren, that very reality that the world is not for them. They are against them. But only Christ is for them. So as we close our time in prayer today, if there is a family member or something that you need to lift before the Lord, would you do that right now? Would you just pray for them? Would you just um, share whatever the Lord lays on your heart? Just lift that voice before the Lord. So let's pray together. Let's stand as we have our closing time of prayer. For those of you that are at home, I pray that you will pray with us. And if you need to contact us, please feel free to contact us at the information at the bottom of your screen, whether this week or next week or whatever week it is. We promise you we will do everything we can to help you. And if you're stuck in one of these situations, we want to help you. And we will certainly be praying for you. Father, we ask that as we pray today, perhaps there are those that we know, families that are struggling, families that are broken because of addictions to the things in which we have heard about today, the very things that are destroying the sanctity of human life and the dignity of our children and our, and our women. Lord, we're thankful, Father, that your word is so clear and so precise and that, Father God, that everything from the Old Testament even to the life and, and through the words of Jesus promotes what God said in the beginning, that God created life not for something to be abused but for the dignity thereof. And Lord, we're thankful, Father, that we have uh, uh, the Word of God in which we can stand upon. And Lord, so we pray, Father, that you would help us to stand upon the truth of the Word of God, even though the world opposes what we believe to be true, even though the world proclaims a different philosophy and theology. Lord, we stand upon the written Word of God, God's spoken Word, and we pray that, Father, that we would be uh, um, changed by Your Word through Your Holy Spirit every day. Lord, if we have been manipulated by the things of the world, draw us back to the Word of God and let the Word of God change our hearts so that we might change our stand and that we might change what we are uh, are speaking up for. And Lord, we would speak out and speak up for the sanctity of human life. Lord, all life that God has created, and He has created it in, in such a way that every life, both the unborn to the, to the elderly and to those that are considered uh, non-productive in our, in our society, Lord, You created all of us because You want all of us to be a part of your kingdom and your heart. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the time today in Jesus' name.
and all God